There are a lot of opinions out there, aren't there? When we're in relationship with Jesus Christ, one of the things that we're told is to read the Bible. We're told to study the Bible. We're told to meditate on the Bible. In sermon after sermon, we're told to spend time in God's Word because it will benefit us. So one time, maybe we decided, okay, we're going to spend a couple of minutes reading the Bible and maybe go to a book like Numbers where you get a list of names and it is kind of boring and the heavens didn't open and there wasn't any great revelation, so we just kind of gave up. Maybe we concluded that we didn't really need to read the Bible because the pastor will tell me what it means, and and he's a smart guy. I I like that part. We'll we'll keep that part of the video. But we're in a 10-week series on Follow Me, A Pattern for Discipleship. And in this series, one of the things you're going to find out is what the importance is of reading God's Word and how reading it, and even memorizing some of it, will be vital for our growth and our spiritual survival. The disciple of Jesus Christ knows and uses God's word with skill, just as Jesus did. And so we're going to see how Jesus used the word of God to assist him in a time when he was encountering temptation. To the Bible is a powerful weapon to have in our arsenal. And spending regular time reading God's Word will benefit us in an amazing way. That's why certain passages are in Scripture, such as Hebrews 4, verse 12. God's Word is alive and working and is sharper than a double-edged sword. It cuts all the way into us where the soul and the spirit are joined to the center of our joints and bones. And it judges the thoughts and feelings in our hearts. So that's the power of God. It has the power to penetrate right into our innermost being. It has an all-seeing eye, and it can accomplish God's purpose. So today we're going to examine how Jesus dealt with an issue that we face on a daily basis, and that's temptation. And Jesus quoted scripture, but it wasn't just his ability to quote scripture that gave him the victory. He quoted scripture to let Satan know what he was committed to. He was committed to obeying the word of God. But there are many people that may know the word, and they may even be able to quote it, but they have no interest whatsoever in obeying it. I've been here almost 30 years now, And years ago, there was a woman that moved to our church. Her marriage had broken up, so she moved to Halifax. And after a while, she developed a relationship with this guy that I never really warmed up to. But he was really intense. He was always quoting scripture at you all the time. But then he became increasingly aggressive toward her. And then every now and then, I have to step in and act like, the husband sometimes, and I kind of chased him away, I thought, but he was still stalking her, and eventually the police had to put a peace bond on him to keep him away from stalking her. But that guy, he could quote the Bible, but he wasn't committed to it in the least. So we need to understand also that Jesus had to face temptation. We also need to realize that temptation in itself isn't sin. 
So we pick up our story in Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Jesus fasted for 40 days and nights. After this, he was very hungry. The devil came to Jesus to tempt him, saying, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And Jesus answered, It is written in the Scriptures, A person lives not on bread alone, but by everything God says. So let's begin our first observation concerning temptation and why it's important to learn the Word of God. The temptation opens the door to doubting God. And Jesus' temptation in the wilderness has actually provided comfort for many a discouraged Christian. And it's actually too bad that there's a chapter division between Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, and Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, because it separates two events that should be kept close together. This event, Jesus being led into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan, comes right after his baptism. And this was an amazing experience. And God spoke from the heavens. Everybody could hear him say, This is my dear son, and I am pleased with him. But then reality hit, and temptations began. So you may be wondering, well, why does this event bring comfort to Christians? Well, it demonstrates that the newly baptized believers shouldn't be discouraged when shortly after... Satan will attack. And the thrill of their conversion can very quickly give way to the struggle of, against sin. If Jesus himself wasn't going to be exempt from it, then there's no way that we are in, in our lives. But his victory gives us hope. It points out something that we need to be aware of, that many times after great spiritual victories come great times of temptation. So then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Now we need to carefully note the meaning of the word tempt. In English, it has all kinds of bad connotations. It means like to entice somebody into sin, to entice them to do wrong, or to persuade them to go in the wrong direction. But the Greek word is actually Perazine, which has a much different meaning. And it means to test more so than to tempt. And one of the great Old Testament historical accounts is about Abraham and how he almost sacrificed his only son, Isaac. God had made a covenant relationship with Abraham. And he said, look, if you'll leave your homeland and you follow me to the land of Israel and are faithful to me, then I will bless you with descendants as numerous as the sand on the seashore. And Abraham did that. He followed God. And then there's a whole story in there as to why it took so long for this promised child, this descendant, to arrive. But Abraham was 100. His wife was 90. And Isaac arrived. And then maybe 12, 14 years later, we pick up in Genesis 22, verse 1. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham. And he said, Behold, here I am. Now this is the King James translation. 
And for us to look at that, we realize it's quite clear that tempt can't mean what we think it is, like to seduce into evil, because it's unthinkable for God to make a person do wrong. So all the newer translations have the word test in there, because this is a time of testing of the loyalty of Abraham. Just as metal, if you're familiar with the process of manufacturing of metal, it has to, before it can be used for anything useful, be tested beyond any strain that it will ever be called upon to handle. And just so that happens with metal, so a person is tested before God can use them for his purposes. So what we call temptation isn't meant to make us sin. It's meant to enable us to conquer sin. It's not meant to make us bad. It's meant to make us good. It's not meant to weaken us. It's meant to actually strengthen us. So we must think of this incident not as so much the tempting of Jesus, but the testing of Jesus. Satan knew who Jesus was, but he thought, okay, Jesus is in a weakened state. The man's gone 40 days without any food, so he wanted to see if Jesus could withstand a temptation. And Jesus showed his full humanity because in verse 2 we read, after 40 days without food, he was hungry. That's one of the greatest understatements. It was a perfect time for Satan to try and get him. And then we have other examples of people going that long without food. Like Moses in Exodus 34. Moses stayed there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. And during that time, he did not eat food or drink water. And Moses wrote the words of the agreement, the Ten Commandments on the ten, excuse me, the stone tablets. So Moses is up in Mount Sinai. He's receiving the Ten Commandments from God. And he fasted this same length of time during that whole period. Elijah in 1 Kings 19. So Elijah got up and ate and drank. The food made him strong enough to walk for 40 days and nights to Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. Now that must have been an amazing meal. I can imagine it was one of my wife's meals to sustain him for that length of time. But other people have been known to go for quite lengths of time without eating. And one of them in our own time frame would be Gandhi. So in verse 3, Satan comes to Jesus and he says, like, if you are the Son of God. So Satan begins with an attempt to get Jesus to doubt God. And you have to remember that up to this point, Jesus hasn't performed any miracles. Like he, he's fully human. So Satan is using the same tactic here that he did with Eve at the beginning of the human race. He tried to get her to doubt God. He tried to get her to doubt God's love and God's provision, to doubt that God had her best interests in mind. So here you have Satan, and you've got Jesus coming off a 40-day fast, and he says, come on, Jesus, like grab that stone, like turn it into bread. The baptism of Jesus marked the beginning of his public ministry, and this is when the crowds would start to gather. And this is when his miracles would begin to flow. And Satan's basically saying to him, you know, don't you wonder 
if you can really do this? Like, it hasn't happened yet. You haven't performed a miracle. Do you think you really can? But behind that temptation is the question, like, what kind of Messiah would Jesus be? Would he be selfish or would he be selfless? And ironically, in later miracles, Jesus actually produced basketfuls of bread to give to hungry people. None of it was for himself. It was all to supply food for others. And he did the miracles in God's timing for God's purposes as part of his mission. So how did Jesus fight off this temptation? He sees through the one tempting him. His own needs and those of humanity at large can never be satisfied by placing the priority on the physical. And even more, he realizes that the word of God is required here. So what does he do? He quotes scripture. Deuteronomy 8.3 was what he quoted. And the context of this verse is a perfect fit for the situation. Because Moses was reminding the nation of Israel that they had doubted God's ability to provide for them in the wilderness. And they wanted to go back to Egypt. So Jesus wasn't going to make the same mistake. So it worked for Jesus. And Jesus didn't turn Satan into a frog. He didn't use any philosophical arguments. He just simply quoted the truth of Deuteronomy 8.3. He took away your pride when he let you get hungry. And then he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever seen. This was to teach you that a person does not live on bread alone, but by everything the Lord says. See, Jesus didn't ask Satan to wait for him to pull his iPhone out of his pocket until he looked up the verse on an app or anything like that. It was there. It was in his mind. He was ready to quote it from memory. So let's look at verses 5 to 7. Then the devil led Jesus to the holy city of Jerusalem and put him on a high place of the temple. The devil said, If you are the Son of God, jump down, because it is written in the Scriptures. He has put his angels in charge of you. They will catch you in their hands so that you will not hit your foot on a rock. Jesus answered him, It also says in the Scriptures, Do not test the Lord your God. So this second temptation is actually opening the door to evading God's will. And it touches on that need for approval or that need for attention that we have within us. Now to use a baseball terminology, Jesus hit a home run off Satan in that first at bat. Like he totally defeated Satan. So now Satan winds up again for his second attempt And he takes Jesus to Jerusalem, and he gets him up onto the pinnacle of the temple. This is 137 meters above the ground. I'm going with meters because most of you grew up with meters. If I was to say 450 feet, a lot of you just look at me. But So that's how high this was. And he's saying, if you are the Son of God, jump down. Like, what a thrill that would be for the crowds watching you. They will applaud, and they will honor you, and they will see you as this great miracle worker. People will follow you everywhere. Besides, when the angels swoop down to rescue you, it will be proof to everyone of your status with God. 
See, Satan's smart, and don't ever forget that. And he sees that Jesus is using Scripture to fight him off. So Satan decides, well, I'm going to take a stab at it myself. So he quotes Psalm 91, verse 11. He has put his angels in charge of you to watch over you wherever you go. They will catch you in their hands so that you will not hit your foot on a rock. So that passage actually talks about the fact that whenever we are following the will of God, he promises that he will do just that. He will protect us. But Satan, he's a master here of twisting scriptures around, like taking it out of context. He misquotes it, or he'll leave out a clause, or he'll misinterpret it. And he's trying to trip up the Son of God with the Word of God. So what's the problem with this temptation? First of all, Jesus would be putting his life in danger for no good reason. So that's tempting God. It's testing God to come and rescue him when he doesn't need to. And it's also a temptation for Jesus to avoid doing things a different way, to avoid God's will. This way, he could avoid the cross. If Jesus had done this, the people would have witnessed it. They would have accepted him as Messiah. He would have been able to avoid all the persecution that he did. He would have been able to avoid going to the cross. They would have set him up in the type of kingdom that the Jews of that day thought the Messiah would set up, an earthly kingdom with Israel in world domination instead of this eternal kingdom that God was wanting. So how did Jesus deal with it? He dealt with it by the use of Scripture again. So he would have been in trouble if it wasn't for his thorough knowledge of both the words and meaning of Scripture. So Jesus uses Deuteronomy 6.16. And Jesus told him, well, it also says in the Scriptures, do not test the Lord your God as you did at Massa. See, we are tempted to avoid God's will in our life when we sense that he's going to kind of lead us down a path that we don't want to go on. It might be one that's going to mean some sacrifice. It might cost us something, and we just don't want to lose it. Like the defining moment in my life was when I made Christ my Lord and Savior. Number two was when I chose Pat Smith as the one to spend the rest of my physical life with. And the third one was deciding to enter into the ministry. But it didn't come easy. I was sensing a call to the ministry in grade 12, but I had friends that played football with me, and we were all invited to go to Mount Allison University to play football. So that's what I went, thinking I was going to be an accountant and a football player. But that year, I just realized this wasn't what I wanted to do, but still... Something in me was there. Well, if you give in to God's will, you go into the ministry, it's not going to be easy. You're going to be dealing with people. Financially, things may not go that great. And then one day I was working at Marco Polo Land, which is in Cavendish, Prince Edward Island. And we were just doing some work around the campground and there wasn't much to do. So the owner sent us 15 kilometers away to his mother's house so to paint it. 
And I was on the back of the house up on a ladder, and I saw the Maritime Christian College van drive in. So I knew that the president was coming to visit me. He'd heard rumors that I was considering Bible college. And then I heard him get out of the van and say, is Gregory Nicholson here? And I, then I could hear a lot of these guys just start with the comments. So I th- was there on top of the ladder, and I thought, if I stay here, maybe he won't find me. But then I heard one of the other men say, you know, it wouldn't be so bad for Greg to study for the ministry. And then something within me just kind of brought me down the ladder, and I walked over, and I, I shook hands with Mr. Norris, and then I entered into Bible college that year, and then the story just continues to go on. Like We fight the temptation to avoid God's will for us with the proper use of Scripture. Like the Word of God will sustain us and support us in the most desperate times of need and temptation. Like we need to actually feed on the Word. We just read it and, and take it into our lives. And we have to do that if we're going to sustain our spiritual lives. The psalmist tells us what Jesus was actually telling us here in Psalm 119. I have taken your words in heart, so I would not sin against you. And the College Press commentary did a paraphrase of this verse and phrased it this way. I have thought much about your words and stored them in my heart, so that they would hold me back from sin. I like that phrasing. I have stored these words in my heart so that they would hold me back from sin. So then in Matthew 4, verse 8, Then the devil led Jesus to the top of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor. And the devil said, If you will bow down and worship me, I will give you all these things. And Jesus said to the devil, Go away from me, Satan. It is written in the scriptures, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left Jesus, and the angels came and ministered to him. The temptation opens the door to actually worshiping the wrong thing. So Jesus has done it again. He has hit another one out of the park. So Satan decides he's going to try one more thing. And he takes Jesus up onto a high mountain and he shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he says, look, Jesus, if you will bow down to me, like this is all yours. The devil was offering Jesus control over the whole world in exchange for Jesus' allegiance. Now listen to me, Jesus. Like God sent you here to establish the kingdom of God on earth. Well, I already control the kingdoms of this earth, and I can help you do what God wants you to do. Everything does belong to God, however. The only power Satan has over anything is what we give him. Ephesians 2 verse 2 indicates this. Yes, in the past you lived the way the world lives, following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth, that same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. So we have to avoid being tempted by empty promises, and that's what Satan gives us. In our world today, politicians are kind of masters at this. They say, vote for me, and I will give you this. And you vote for them, they get into power, 
And this it never happens. It never comes. So how did Jesus fight this temptation off? Once again, it was with the use of Scripture. Verse 10, Jesus said to the devil, Go away from me, Satan. It is written in the Scriptures, You must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So the devil left Jesus, and the angels came and took care of him. So that quote is from Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And he first of all told Satan to get away, and then he reminded him of who we are actually called to worship. Each time Jesus was tempted by Satan, he simply used and applied Scripture. And just think of all the ways that he could have chosen to deal with that. But he chose Scripture. And if it was good enough for him to do that, then it's definitely good enough for us. See, Jesus employed a tactic along with Scripture that is found in the New Testament. And James 4, 7 speaks of it. So give yourselves completely to God, stand against the devil, and the devil will run from you. So don't give in and don't give up. I can't tell you how many times I've faced temptation in my life. And just by remembering a word of Scripture has helped to lead me in the right direction. I love 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Make every effort to give yourself to God as the kind of person he will approve. Be a worker who is not ashamed and who uses the true teaching in the right way. Well, there's an analogy that says that the Bible is like a manual, a manual that we study, a manual that we have to study in order to be able to better make use of it. And I keep thinking of the analogy of studying the driver's manual in order to get our beginner's driver's license. I actually wrote the beginner's test twice, not because I failed the first time, but I wrote it at the age of 14 when I was getting my tractor's license. So I got 95% on that quiz, and then I could drive this 5,000-kilogram tractor on the road, pulling machinery behind me that weighed just as much, yet I wasn't able to drive a 1,000-kilogram car on the road. Kind of doesn't make sense. We've got a young fellow in the front row here that is now able to fly a plane by himself, but not able to yet drive on the road. A similar type thing. But when I wrote that exam the next time, I was a little overconfident. Did this two years ago. I didn't need to look at the manual anymore. And I just scraped by with 85%. We need to study God's Word. We need to make it a part of our lives, to take it into our hearts so that it will guide us through everything we face in our life. And remember this. We're going to remind you of this all the way through this series. Like No matter where you are in this journey with God, there's always someone who can learn from you. There's always someone that you can bring along to the level that you are at. But you need to just get started reading God's Word. Hey, we have a takeaway for you here today. I know many of you read God's Word regularly, but maybe for some of you, you don't do that. So what this is, is a Bible reading plan, and it's not overly taxing. It's just beginning 
today and goes to the end of this series on December the 9th. And it's just reading one chapter of God's Word each day just to develop that habit. It begins with the life of Christ, then it talks about that life being lived out, and then it also covers the beginning of the church. So I'm going to have these at the back door as I greet you on the way out. So please take one of these and just pop it into your Bible and develop a regular habit of reading. It might bring up some discussions in your life group when you get together each week, but if nothing else, it will get you into the regular habit of reading God's Word. His Word is powerful, so read it, memorize it, absorb it, use it.